Welcome to Huddle Home Office. I'm Mark Legier. When I think about my travel experiences, my memories often center around great meals. An egg curry served on a banana leaf in a village in rural India. A pork dish seasoned with cumin at a seaside restaurant in Havana. Eating sushi at a restaurant in Japan. The waitstaff watching in amusement as I ate raw fish for the first time. I don't travel as much as I used to, and not at all during the pandemic. But as the region becomes more diverse through immigration, you don't need to go far for great meals like this anymore. On this week's show, I speak with Otito Atansi and Lily Lynch, the co-founders of Sankara, an online food marketplace serving St. John, Fredericton, Moncton, and Halifax. Otito is originally from Nigeria. Lily is from Halifax. They started a Nigerian food stall at a St. John market several years ago, surrounded by other vendors selling food from around the world. That inspired them to create an e-commerce and marketing platform to help those vendors grow their businesses and share their food and culture more widely. I hope you enjoy our conversation. I sure did, especially since I've been to Nigeria and was keen to share those memories with Otito. Hi, Lily. Hi, Otito. Yeah. Hey. Hi. How are you doing today? Pretty good. How about you? I'm doing great. Thank you very much. Good. Yeah. Lily, where do I find you two today? Um, We're coming, uh, broadcasting from our living room. (laughs) (laughs) And where, where, where do you live? Uh, In uh, Uptown, St. John, New Brunswick. I think that's actually very close to me. I'm Uptown as well. Um, So, uh, so how are you guys doing? How are you surviving uh, the pandemic together? It's going good so far. Iterating, pivoting, and, you know, (laughs) trying to keep up with everything that's consistently changing. So now I gather you're, you're self-isolating because Otito, you were on a trip. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So uh, it's very cold. So it's actually a good time just to spend time indoors right now. Yeah. Just stay inside. (laughs) Yeah. I think I could take two weeks of just not, not being able to leave my house right now. It's until the cold at least breaks. Absolutely. Yeah. And just terribly icy outside right now, too. So. So, Lily, I wanted to start with you uh, in terms of just getting a sense of of your your background. Um, So you're not you're not from St. John. You're a newcomer, I understand, from Halifax. Yeah, that's right. In 2017, um, I moved to New Brunswick and uh, to St. John from Halifax, where I went to school and grew up. And yeah, it's been interesting adapting uh, here and just getting connected and running a business is a great way to make connections and make some impact in the community that I'm in now. So, so tell me a little bit about your upbringing in, in uh, Halifax. Like, uh, what what did you study? Tell me a little bit about your childhood and how you grew up. Yeah, so I grew up in North End Halifax um, in a historically... Um, Black neighborhood, um, very mixed um, background. So I went to inner city schools in Halifax and grew up with a really great um, and super determined single mom. Um, And she was a teacher, um, an art teacher. And so throughout school, very impacted um, by her contributions to the community and to um, her work in the schools. And I went to university at King's, University of King's College, where I graduated with uh, double honors in history and French. So nothing related to business whatsoever. Um, And then after that, I 
spent some time um, getting to know different um, cultural cuisines through Otito's Nigerian and Cameroonian food, um, and then came up here uh, to New Brunswick after uh, graduating from my undergrad. And what's your own cultural background? Tell me about your own family. Yeah, so my mom is white, um, so she's French Canadian and Irish, from what I understand. And then my dad, um, he is Mi'kmaq and Black um, from Black Loyalist Connection. So my own personal heritage kind of is multiracial in that way, and very, very located in um, indigeneity, both Black and um, Mi'kmaq. Um, so growing up, um, getting to know my personal heritage was really important to creating roots in myself, especially not having grown up with my um, parent of color. Um, growing up with a white single mom, it was really important for me and for her to create some rootedness in my cultural identities. Um, so I got really great experiences and exposure um, working at the Black Loyalist Heritage Museum in Birchtown, um, which if people read the Book of Negroes by Lawrence Hill, it basically tells the entire tale of how the first large migration of Black people came to be in Nova Scotia. Um, so it was really impactful to get to know my personal heritage through that immediate experience. Um, and I used to do quite a bit of tours in public schools to bring that history into our curriculum because it's missing, uh, unfortunately. So, and I think that there's some really great work happening uh, here too in trying to change the curriculum as well. So it's really exciting to see people like embracing their identity. What brought you to Brunswick? Um, for work, actually, yeah. So what do you do? Because I know that you obviously have uh, Sankara uh, that we'll talk a bit more about, but what uh, I know you also have another day job as well. So what's your what's your training and the work you do day to day day to day? Yeah, day to day now, um, I work as a bilingual paralegal for a small uh, law firm uptown. Um, but what initially brought me to New Brunswick to work was uh, I used to be a heritage interpreter. So I worked in the New Brunswick Museum and I also worked uh, for Federal Parks Canada um, position. Um, and so it was a lot of in, within that work, realizing that there was a lot of erasure and omission of Black and Indigenous histories at those two museums that I worked at as well. Um, so I did quite a lot of discovery and um, research uh, through uh, Mr. Ralph Thomas at the Black History Society to basically not participate in my own erasure as I was a tour guide in those two um, museums. Uh, so that was something that connected me with the local community, um, Black community in New Brunswick, which was really important to getting rooted here. Um, but yeah, as a day job right now, I uh, am working as a paralegal um, and then moonlighting uh, all hours to build Sankara and uh, motivate our team and keep growing our, our company here. So we're a team, a uh, pretty small team, but we manage about seven different employees within our um, organization through uh, different means. And then, uh, yeah, two co-founders. And now, Lily, I, I grew up, uh, uh, we share some some common cultural background because I, I come from French, uh, French and Irish mostly. Mm -hmm. uh, but but more importantly, I come from a, a, a legal family of dad who was a lawyer. And so I know how much work that is. So now I'm trying to picture you working in working in a law firm and then also running a small business. Uh, I hope you get good sleeps at night. <laughs> uh, it's limited, um, but uh, yeah, <laughs> that's what you need to do to to create the business and the future that you want to see. So, yeah. Now, Otito. Yeah, uh, very curious uh, to know more about your background because then, you know as we were talking before we started the podcast, 
when I saw that you had been you know, born and, and spent your early years in Nigeria, it took me way back to a few days that I had spent in Lagos uh, and and absolutely absolutely loved it there. I it was a, it was a it was a very um, fast paced and very interesting few days. And the hotel where I was staying, uh, the staff were concerned about me because I wanted to go out and roam around Lagos. <laughs> and and they were always very concerned. They were giving me very prescribed routes, and 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 they wanted to make sure that I was okay, right? Because it's a, it's a big city and it's a very fast paced city. And here I was, this Canadian, landing there and wanting to go out and and just explore the city. Uh, and I, I did have, I had an amazing time and met a lot of really great people. And, uh, and I would come back to the hotel at night and, and share my stories with, with the staff there. And they were always eager to see me come back through the door. <laughs> I don't know why they were so worried about Weotito. It was, it was such a friendly, lovely, warm place, very fast paced. Yeah, it's different. <laughs> tell me, so tell me a little bit about your background. Like, so I know that you were obviously uh, you know, very, uh, very young when you were in Nigeria. What are, what are your memories of Nigeria? Uh, so, like, I was born in Nigeria in the, I think, the southeastern region. And then, um, like, when I was around six, seven, eight, uh, we moved to another country called uh, Cameroon, um, beside Nigeria. Uh, but my, um, my, my, um, my memories of Nigeria has always been um, is a place that is very fast-paced, hardworking people, uh, relentless people. Um, you go there like everyone is out doing something. It's it's like a business-driven place. Um, everyone is doing a business. Like there's um, like especially from my region. Uh, we have uh, uh, limited government involvement there, so like everyone is out, like everyone is out there, uh, trying to make a living somehow, right? So it's mostly business driven. Um, then from Nigeria, we immigrated to Cameroon, uh, to the capital of Cameroon, um, Yaoundé, and uh, my parents were all bis- um, uh, are still doing business. So my dad is doing business, my mom is doing business. I have my brothers and sisters that are doing business. So we went to Cameroon. Um, they did business and then they sponsored us in school because they believe that going to school is like the best investment that you can make in your children. So they sponsored us through school. We went through the government school. Then from the government school, we went to the boarding school. And then uh, from there, um, uh, my brother had an opportunity to come to Canada. And then uh, once he came here, he also told me that uh, he will he would like me to join him. So um, from there, um, that's how I I eventually landed in Halifax. And and when you're taking your love back just a little bit briefly to to Cameroon, what what kind of uh, businesses were your parents engaged in? What did they do? My dad um, um, is in motor parts business, so he, he'll buy cars and then sell them. He would also buy like the parts of the cars, like the lights, the engines, the 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 mirrors, the windscreen, and all that. And then uh, he would just uh, he would import them from from Dubai, um, Dubai, China, and other places into Cameroon. And and then my mom is into like 
um, like um, materials, like the the wedding materials, the bridal gown, the wedding gown, um, into women dressing. So you you come from a, a strong entrepreneurial business family. Yeah. 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 And now, uh, do you still talk? Do you talk to them? Have you been able to visit them since you moved here? Yeah, I've been traveling. Um, I've been tra- I've been traveling back and forth for the past um, three years. Um, I just came back from Nigeria. Um, it's been a couple of um, it's been a couple of like weeks that I've been back. Um, so I always go back, and as I go back, I go back to Nigeria. Um, I used to go back to Cameroon, then travel from Cameroon to Nigeria. But for the past like two, three years, I've been going straight to Nigeria to to kind of learn about the place, um, understand the business atmosphere and all that. It's interesting that you mentioned the kind of entrepreneurial business environment in in Nigeria, because that I mean, that's the thing that I remember most, even though it's been 13 or 14 years and I only spent a short time there. Yeah. Uh, was just how entrepreneurial and business driven the city was and, and just so active all the time. Um, so you, you, you get energy from that when you go back and visit there? Because it's a very different place from St. John. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, I think uh, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's always like that. And so where you, where you went to was Lagos, right? Um, if you travel out east, right? Um, the business energy is actually like 100% more out east. So anytime that I go there um, with no electricity, no water and all that, uh, you still see people make those things happen. People still have lights, people still have water, even though there's no grid light or like, uh, so like everyone there is an entrepreneur. Um, it's not by choice, but it's, it's like by default, right? It's, it's like from 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 your grandparents all the way to the newborn. Like your only way out to survive is to be an entrepreneur. You have to you have to you have to learn how to um, to to make money out of something or to create something or to um, or to invest in something. Like um, like we don't have government subsidies there. We don't have government and like free education or anything from the government. So um, in that type of situation, like people have to um, like every time that I go there, I just realize that people there are, are relentless. Like they are very very <laughs> like if you need a boost. In, in your entrepreneurial journey, you should travel to Nigeria. And so t- tell me, uh, how did you end up, tell me about your path to, to Canada. Because you, you, when you came, you originally came and, and settled in Halifax. Yeah. So um, after my high school, um, I, I had a scholarship to, um, to SMU in Halifax. Um, so my brother helped me apply, and then after I applied, the school gave me a scholarship, and then um, I came, I did my diploma of engineering there for two years, and then after the diploma of engineering, um, the norm is that you transfer to the housing university. So I did two years at SMU, then 
I completed all the three years at at the housing, and then after that, um, I applied for for multiple jobs, and then um, I was lucky to to get a job with St John Energy, and then from Halifax, I then moved to St John. And you worked for St John Energy for several years um, before you left full time to do this. Yeah. Uh, I worked for St. John Energy for almost six years. Then um, I left. Um, I left St. John Energy. Uh, my intention leaving was to 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 do Sankara and to also go back to university to continue uh, a master's program. So that's what I'm currently doing. Now, Tito, I know that. Um, I mean, you you've had a lot of lot of success here, right? You you came here from from Cameroon and got educated in Halifax and, and landed a job with St. John Energy and, and now you're a small business person. Did you have challenges along the way? Like how, how was that experience for you emigrating here and, and finding your way and, and building a life? Uh, yeah, there's some, uh, um, there's some challenges along the way, um, like, um, like um, communication challenges, for example. Um, like, I'm sure when you travel to Lagos, like people spoke English there, like as as a normal language, but when you come to Canada, um, you realize that the English that you spoke in Nigeria or in Cameroon is um, is a second language. Like people here will tell you that language is your second language, right? So I had to adapt. Um, um, even though we spoke English in Cameroon, so in Cameroon. We speak both both French and English, but I went through the English system. So when I came here and I learned that the English that I was speaking was uh, was different, and I had to consider myself as uh, as um, um, I had to tell myself that my English was my second language. So I had to adapt to that. Um, um, uh, like just different things, like different perceptions. Um, there are things that were not visible to me in Africa that when I came to Canada, they became visible to me. Like, um, like living in Africa, you don't, you don't see, you don't see yourself different. You just deal with, with anyone like as human, right? Uh, you don't notice that you don't see anything, right? You just live your life. You just live your life. Um, but once you come here, you realize that um, that there's something uh, that there's something you are foreign or something like that. You 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 um, you realize that um, you're different, right? Um, um, n- not always in a bad way, right? But just that, um, like maybe in my high school, um, you have like a, a, a lab work in in my chemistry class and you just go there, you just do your lab work and you don't have to care about anything. Um, and you and you just cared about the chemistry or maybe how to do the lab procedures. Here in Canada, you will not only care about the chemistry or the lab procedures. You have to care about also how people perceive you and how uh, you have to navigate through that, right? You, you have to, sometimes you have to prove to people that you are not here by mistake, for example. Um, like doing engineering, sometimes I had to prove to people that um, I didn't, I, I didn't get in um, uh, for free, right? Um, it wasn't given to me just for free. That um, 
that I actually did physics, chemistry, biology, math, further maths in high school, and that I wanted to do engineering from high school, right? That I didn't just come to Canada and the government gave me a free tuition to do engineering. So from time to time, like um, those extra things that you didn't have to worry about in Africa or you didn't have to think about um, in Africa, um, when you come here, you have to you have to think about them. You have to be aware of them, right? That um, that you are just uh, and it's it's not always bad, right? Sometimes it just makes you work harder, right? And as you work harder, you build more yourself. You build more resilience. Um, you just know how to navigate through things. Um, sometimes things might not go as you plan, but you just know. You just have to deal with it one way or another, right? Um, so those were my um, like like the additional stuff that um, one have to navigate through when my challenges. And do you find now you've been here, uh, you know, for several years? Do you find because what I what I'm hearing when I when I listen to you talk about this is that is that people didn't necessarily see you for who you are who you were when you arrived and they had perceptions about your cultural background or your experience and not necessarily seeing you for who you are and what you bring to your job, uh, you know, to the classroom. Um, it, do you, are you finding that things have changed over, over time for you? Are, are people more accepting here now or are there I still think, challenges? I think, um, I think over, I think overall, I think Canadians are accepting. I think they are accepting, like um, as as a student, like people were very curious to know where I come from and all that, right? And it was actually very positive. Um, uh, people, people, I think I think Canadians are very very accepting people. Um, they are polite. Um, they are genuine to know where you come from. To um, to accept you for who you are. Actually, I. I I believe in that. That Canadians, um, they, they generally don't judge people uh, like that. But, but um, um, the challenges that I um, that that um, that I face is like you, for example, right? Um, um, like before going to Ghana, right? You just lived your whole life in in Canada, right? Uh, but when you're in Ghana, you realize that, oh, like I'm seen different, right? Um, like now everyone is looking at me, right? Um, now they might have some expectations for for Canadians there. So um, it seems like you have to either play in that role or you don't play in that role. So you have to think about, oh, like am I a Canadian? So all those extra thoughts, right? Um, sometimes they're positive, um, like, I'm sure, like as a Canadian in Ghana, you must have have a positive. People must have have some positive expectations of you. Um, uh, in Canada, um, like it's similar to that, right? Those extra expectations that you have to think about, right? Like, um, am I behaving the way that people expect me to behave, right? Um, so, those were the type of things that boils down to other challenges that might come after.
Right. And, 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 you know, to your point, cause asking about my own, my own experience in, in Ghana and then my own lim- more limited experience in, in Nigeria. Yeah. It, it's, it was getting used to being for me and I'm sure it was the same thing for you coming here. I was getting used to being in, in the minority and yeah. learning cultural cues and learning when I, you know, I just wasn't understanding the culture around me and I needed to adjust to it and, and that people needed to adjust to me. Um, and the best, the best way is when people are just open to learning, right. And, and opening, open to getting past misunderstandings that come up. Um, and so, yeah, no, I was definitely experiencing that every day when I was in Ghana. I mean, I was only there for eight or nine months, um, but it was a very positive experience overall because everybody that I was meeting and interacting with understood that. Right. And we were always Mm -hmm. trying to just find those points of connection mm-hmm. yeah yeah that it's hard right it's not always yeah. easy to find those it's it's yeah yeah it's um it's different it's like like me for example when i was a student at dow um at smil i'll go to like the student union building and they'll be having like a trivia night so like during trivia night uh, people would be sharing like um like 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 Canadian cultural stuff, like the Canadian movies that everyone grew up watching, like the famous actor that everyone knew in Canada. Um, like when I went there and people were doing those trivia, like I just felt sometime out of place because I couldn't connect to any of those trivia questions, right? And you as an international student, you don't you don't have those, uh, you don't know about Seinfeld, you don't know about Jerry Seinfeld, you don't know about uh, about Elaine, and people will be asking questions about who dressed like this in Seinfeld, right? And then you might feel kind of out of place, and then people might perceive you that um, you have low IQ because you, you don't know those common questions that everyone um, know, right? So those were type of, um, those were like the cultural challenges that um, like international students would face, right? Like at those type of venues and stuff. And and in and in the workplace, a lot of us, you know, whether it's in our the commute broader community or when it, whether it's in our workplaces, we all build relationships off those exchanges and and those connections, right? So uh, I can imagine like trying to break in. They say break in, but you know what I mean? You're coming in and, and people don't often even realize that those, they're building relationships based on those common cultural connections, right? Yeah. And, yeah, and I can imagine right. trying to come in and, and <laughs> figure out 25 years worth of <laughs> pop culture. Because <laughs> I am an old Seinfeld guy, so I get it. Yeah, yeah. Like the Seinfeld, they'll ask about... Uh, who did Elaine date first or something, right? Like every, everyone might know who, who Elaine dated first, but you as an international student from, from Burundi, for example, like, you'll be like, I don't know. Like I didn't grow up watching Seinfeld. <laughs> like if you ask me something about Burundi, I, I can answer, but um, yeah. But over time, right, you will learn about those things over time, right? Like the more that you stay in Canada, you do learn about um, the Canadian culture. You watch Seinfeld. Uh, you learn about Justin Trudeau. You learn about <laughs> hiking, like, all those things, right? Yeah. 
So yeah. you create those points of convergence with your local community that you're joining and yeah. um, creating points of commonality or experiences like just come with the territory. <laughs> yeah. 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 And hopefully, hopefully teach as well as, as learn, you know, I hope you've, you've made some like you mutant Nigerian music fans out of, out of some Canadians here. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, so I'm curious. So the two of you uh, end up in St. John kind of both from Halifax, just in different ways. Uh, so tell me about speaking of points of convergence. So how, how do you two meet? And then how does Sankara come to be? Lily, can you tell me a bit about that? Yeah, for sure. So um, we met uh, in university uh, in Halifax and then um, Sankara kind of developed through um, different foods that uh, Otito would create from uh, his Igbo and Nigerian background. So things that you may have enjoyed in Nigeria, like uh, okra soup or iguzi and fufu and these dishes that are so traditional and so accessible in Nigeria that we would go and procure ingredients for at different international stores and create um, in our kitchen and enjoy and experience and listen to music and um, have a cultural experience um, through Nigerian food and also Cameroonian food. Um, for example, in Cameroon, there's a dish called indole and it's uh, peanuts that are blended with spinach and ginger and leeks. So it's very, um, uh, fragrant and uh, delicious and spicy and you eat it with rice um, or plantain. So we would create those things at home and then Sankara kind of became the experiment of how does a, the local community around us uh, re react to trying those kinds of foods. So through some experiences as vendors in public markets um, in St. John, like the Queen Square Market, um, we were able to see how the community reacted to trying those foods, what questions they would ask, how often they came back for more, and their their general feedback and um, willingness to try allowed us to experience um, the very first iteration of Sankara, which was being food vendors, bringing that food that was intimately enjoyed um, in our house to the outside. And are you both uh, cooks by background like uh, do you both enjoy cooking yeah definitely yeah, yeah. not so, so much many... anymore <laughs> we kind of rely on uh, all the different partner vendors on Sankara to you know they're the ones that do all the cooking and um, you know they deserve all the kudos and all the attention on their cultural cuisines um, so uh, you know ordering from those chefs is is definitely something that's nice rather than having to cook so much also so from that early experience as as vendors through the Queen Square market, so how how does that then grow into this network um, that that you've created of people who are creating you know food from countries from all over the world? How did that happen? And what motivated you to want to do that? Um, so we went to the farmers market as Lily mentioned, and we sold um, like we sold African food. And then as we are selling African food, we saw some challenges that um, other vendors were facing trying to establish their food business in Canada. Um, like most of them were just too afraid. Um, um, they were just um, like, it's, 
is like when someone doesn't have the right information, they are, uh, um, they are more, I don't know, they are just afraid to take actions. So we we started researching what what it takes to to run a food business in in um, in Saint John, then in New Brunswick, then in Canada, like the requirements that you need, the food handling certificates that you need, and the other requirements that you need. And we started thinking that okay, uh, we would like to um, open like a place that vendors can come uh, to cook uh, without um without um have to without have to bother themselves about all these restrictions and then so we thought about having like a food truck that different vendors can come and just cook they cook they sell directly to the public um it could be like on monday we'll have nigerian food tuesday we can have um turkish food wednesday we can have brazilian food and stuff like that and then um, back then, I think it was back in 2016, um, the city of St. John did not allow food truck in the uptown area. They still have like a restriction on food truck. So we had to we had to abandon that idea. And also we also thought that in the winter season, it would be really, really expensive to run a food truck. So we abandoned that idea and then we, started, we continued to re research uh, we went to a conference in Moncton. Um, is this Invest Atlantic conference that happens like every year? It ha it happens across like the Atlantic provinces. And when we went there, uh, we we did a presentation to the audience. We pitched our, our idea of opening like an African um, an African um, place where different um, different people with that um, African background can come and cook and serve their community. Uh, when we did the presentation, we didn't we didn't get, uh, we were going there to seek for investment, for investors to invest in the idea. Uh, we didn't get the investment, that, uh, uh, we didn't get any investor, but we learned a lot from the experience, right? And one of the things that we learned is that every, um, like the majority of the people that came to do the presentation, they were using technology one way or another. Like people were building apps for something, people were using websites for something. So when we came back to St. John, we started thinking, okay, like how can we use, how can we use technology to, to offer a solution to these vendors? rather than using like um, um, a fiscal location, right? Uh, so we started thinking, okay, maybe we should use a website or maybe an app. Because if we use a website, that means um, we are not tied down by location and, and we can reach more, more people that have those challenges. So we started building the website. We started building the website. Uh, we went to the farmer's market. We spoke to a couple of vendors about it, and uh, that they can actually use it for free. Um, it's just an additional outlet for them to reach the public. They can still go to the farmer's market. They can still um, have their own website. They can do whatever they want. Um, um, them having their food on Sankara is just a, um, a, an additional outlet. It's like someone that has a Facebook account, then also have Instagram account, and also have Twitter account. So we are just 
another social media account that you can use to 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 reach a bigger audience so uh, from then we have been building the website since then uh, we have uh, we have moved out of St. John, we first moved to Fredericton, we first expanded to Fredericton, and uh, we recruited some vendors there. Then from Fredericton, we expanded to Moncton, we, we, uh, we recruited some vendors in, in, um, in Moncton. And then um, right now we have uh, recently we just expanded to Halifax, and um, we have uh, we have a vendor in Halifax right now, and we are planning to recruit more vendors um, in Halifax and in other cities too. So if I understand right, so you have like um, it's almost like a, a network of small businesses, small sort of food businesses, and and what you do is kind of provide like an e-commerce platform and promotions and yeah. kind of support to businesses that way? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they can, uh, any vendor who has the right food safety certificate um, can join our marketplace, uh, our online multicultural marketplace, which is our website. And they, through that, they can post um, meal boxes, which is sort of like HelloFresh, except without having to cook. Everything's already cooked for you. Um, and the clients receive it on their doorstep on Sunday and can reheat the meals throughout the week. So it's a meal plan. And these vendors who sign up through our marketplace can also sell catering. So we've sold catering to every level of government, federal, provincial, and municipal um, through that. And so their vendors are getting exposure to the right clients, insurance firms, law firms, whoever's ordering catering, and then these individual clients who are ordering meal boxes um, in any of the cities that we operate in. And all of that is free of charge on the vendors um, to use the marketplace to create this additional exposure and revenue. Um, and we do different, you know, events and opportunities through partnerships. Um, like we just did a partnership with Uncorked for a Valentine's meal. So it was Valentine's, so it was um, Thai food for uh, Valentine's Day. Um, so things like that come free for the vendors and the way that Sankara as a social enterprise, a for-profit social enterprise works is that um, in order to create some revenue for us to pay for hosting the website and uh, some of our team and marketing and those kinds of things, we do charge a commission to the customer for utilizing the platform and basically experiencing all this hyper-local multiculturalism in their community. So they they spend additional small amount of um, money to experience that on the website, but it's very marginal. It's so Lily, tell me a little bit about the the range of, of vendors, the kinds of uh, food that's being marketed and sold through Sankara. Yeah, so we have food from some of the most popular food is Indian. Uh, I think everyone loves a good curry and butter chicken. So we work with a, a wholesaler out of Moncton called Sai Krishna. Um, and Chef Raman at Sai Krishna creates delicious Indian foods. Um, and they're a samosa wholesaler as well. Um, so they sell some of their samosas online. Um, we work with a partner chef called Irene. She sells Filipino food. So she utilizes a local licensed kitchen in Moncton and creates her meals just once a week through the meal box program. So you can get adobo chicken and um, vegetarian dishes like tofu calderita. And in Fredericton, we work with different chefs, Indian um, Egyptian and Iraqi. For example, there's Iraqi Chef Salam. He creates um, delicious dishes called Fesanjun. And so it's a pomegranate molasses with walnut-based chicken stew. 
and it's incredible. It's sweet and sour and savory. Um, and those kinds of dishes is what people can get in Fredericton. And then in Halifax, we're working with an Indian vendor right now called Shivani's Kitchen. She also wholesales through Amazon and is available. Um, her spice mixes are available on Sobeys. So for all of these vendors who have their own channels and their own exposures, Sankara just becomes an additional tool to access their community's hunger for cultural food. And they can basically... Um, provide that food and satisfy those cravings um, just through our channel, through our channel at no additional cost. So, so tell me uh, in, in terms of your expansion uh, into the different cities, how, how are you being received as you grow from St. John to Fredericton and then to Moncton and then to Halifax? It's been going really well. Um, the uh, expansion to Moncton, um, really took off. Uh, we just expanded there in June of 2020. Um, so from that time, um, we've had a, quite a lot of uh, traffic to the website. Um, a great amount of traffic. Um, so we're very happy with that, that we're able to bring um, that uh, new source of revenue to those vendors in Moncton. And uh, exp expanding simply requires tapping into some networks for you know new delivery contacts um, and making sure we have um, good relationships with the partner vendors and maintaining um, you know new new menu updates and that kind of thing. So it's creating um, some invitations to the community to experience the website um, and all of the food that they can get. And from there, there's quite a lot of word of mouth that's happening also, which is we've learned how even a newcomer to New Brunswick, like myself from Halifax, that's how everything is done here is definitely word of mouth and having a good reputation. So it's been going really, it's been going really well. And we uh, always invite, you know, uh, any new vendors that want to join with us to definitely um, connect and they can go on our website and sign up or if anyone in their community knows of a newcomer that could generate more income or have a side income through producing their culture and selling it to the community that's always an avenue for them that's open um too and so how many people does does sankara itself uh, employ how does your operation look uh from the software side we have right now we have uh we have four people on the software side, um, so we, we typically use um, uh, we typically hire co-op students to help us um, through their co-op terms with the software development. Um, so we um, so we are building um, we are trying to revamp our current website in the background to to look um, better. So we have um, employees working on that. So um, uh, on the software side, we have four people on the software side. Plus you. Yeah, uh, yeah. plus me is four in total. Mm -hmm. um, then on the... On my side, we're working through um, different programs um, to hire interns and also co-op students. And so right now we have um, three uh, through to do business development, vendor recruitment, and um, marketing. Um, so yeah, through through different programs and um, opportunities, we're able to um, onboard these individuals to help us to grow and- So in total it's like- Seven. Seven people. Yeah. Yeah, seven. In seven total. internally that, that work on creating Sankara. And then in terms of vendors, um, we have a couple dozen. 
yeah, we have a couple of dozen. And then um, in, in every city that we go in, we have, we try to pan up with the delivery companies there. Mm-hmm. Um, so like in Moncton, we, we are partnering with the delivery company in Moncton. In St. John, we use different delivery companies. Um, in, in Fredericton, it's the same thing too. In Halifax, it's, it's the same thing too. Um, then like for our accounting and our lawyer, we just hire lawyers and accountant on pay use. Um, on um, When we need to use them, we hire them. I'm curious to know uh, how things are now. I know it's it's a fairly new business. So, you know, this it's a difficult question because you don't have a long history in terms of pre-pandemic. But do you see opportunity for Sankara and, and your network of food vendors because of a shift towards, you know, buying through online and 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 online and delivery. It's like, do it's every how have you seen growth through the pandemic? Yeah, um, we've been very fortunate. Um, uh, some of the vendors who work with us, you know, they decide to also utilize other channels in their community to sell their food. Um, so just in the same way that Sankara started as the seed idea, as you know, the two of us selling African food at a market. Some of the vendors that we work with also decide to do that too. And so um, at the beginning of the pandemic with uh, the lockdown happening, Sankara was the only way that those vendors were able to create any amount of income or revenue. So we were really happy that we were able to provide them with that um, recurring revenue every single week. Um, And we did it very safely. We do no contact deliveries. Everything is prepaid through our website um, that Tito, like you said um, earlier, that you built along with your team. And um, yeah, the food is cooked in a sanitized kitchen and there are a limited amount of people in the kitchen. So it's a safer way to experience delicious food and maybe take off some of the pressure of cooking through the week. So we've been really um, happy that we've had actually growth throughout this time. Um, and especially as we expanded to other cities through um, this year, uh, we've had a lot of um, fortunate uh, successes and good partnerships that have kept us going. Because I know I'm just thinking from my own consumption habits, there's somebody that I um, I get, I love, uh, I love rotis, mm-hmm. huge roti fan. So <laughs> I found someone in this greater St. John area that she's had like a, a, a food truck and she's set up in markets and um but obviously since the pandemic that's slowed down for everyone mm-hmm. and and we're not getting out to those markets and we're not getting in front of those vendors as as much as we used to mm-hmm. uh but now but i realize i've actually become recurring revenue for her <laughs> to use yeah. a business term because <laughs> it used to be more accidental where i would maybe i'd get to the market or maybe i'd get to the food truck but maybe i had too busy a week mm-hmm. whereas now it's just it's just a phone, it's just a text message away from ordering food that's at my door, uh, you know, a couple of days later or whenever it is that I want it. And and it strikes me that there's probably real opportunity for post-pandemic for Sankara and all these vendors to actually see this is a real, a real growth area, right? For creating that recurring revenue that's beyond that, that's, that's in addition to the marketplaces that we'll all continue to get food at when this is over, because it's also obviously really a cultural experience as much as it is a food experience, right? Like, so I think, I don't think the markets are going away in that sense. They're, they're going to come back. 
Yeah. yeah. And, and having that dynamic um, experience to have cross-cultural seeing between the client, you know, in front of your booth and you on the other mm-hmm. side of the booth experiencing, they're hearing the food, you know, being dished out, they're listening to you speak about it. And the vibrancy of that entire sensory experience can't be replaced um, through uh, a website. Um, and that's partially why we used to do um, in the past, we used to do quite a lot of pop-up restaurants to bring music and vendors and food and experience all together um, in a way that was more dynamic. So um, there are definitely other ways around it. Like we do have a free playlist on Spotify, which is all world music that Zenkar has curated that can be listened to as you receive your meal box. Um, and in your meal box, there's a story about your chef. There's a biography. There's the menu. And there's this experience when you open the box. So you still can get those elements of culture and um, that's both food and um, learning about the individual who cooked it and seeing their photo and those kinds of things. Um, but absolutely, when when it's safe to do so, um, we can all gather again at public markets and um, support the vendors, you know, face to face as well. Um, but Zincar is always going to be there as an e-commerce channel for recurring revenue for catering, which hopefully opens up again soon as well. It, it's become like a it's going to become like a recurring a joke on my on my podcast uh, guys. I the last couple of weeks I've last several weeks I've had a couple of chocolatiers on the show, and so I've spent a whole hour uh, talking about making chocolate, <laughs> whether it was piece by chocolate and and that that company that's been set up in in Anaganish that that had had its roots in Syria. And or it's uh, Ganong last week. And uh, when I had did my interview with Brianna Ganong last week, I, I actually brought a piece of chocolate with me so that, you know, late in the interview when I started to have that craving for chocolate, because we've just been talking about chocolate for too long. <laughs> I'm realizing now I've 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 had, you know, two people who build a food network <laughs> and and I'm, I'm starting to I'm starting to crave uh, uh you will I'm not sure if this is a Nigerian thing, Otito, but I um mm-hmm. I was a vegetarian. Uh, well, I am a vegetarian now, but I was vegetarian when I was in Ghana as well. And I ate red bread every day. Mm-hmm. Bean, which is uh, for for our listeners, a uh, uh, bean and uh, plantain and 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 rice dish. Nice. And I lived on it. I absolutely loved it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, and I know my wife really enjoyed eating eating fish and and fufu and 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 these dishes that you're bringing up. And I'm realizing now that yeah. if we do a podcast interview again, it has to be over some food. <laughs> <laughs> we can make that happen. Yeah. 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 So actually, it's a good um, a good way to close the conversation. Uh, so you're you know your business people now you know, building essentially building a network to help support uh, food vendors making food from cultures from all over the world. Uh, you started as, you know, vendors in in the markets, uh, you know, making Nigerian food and African okay. food. Uh, do you do you miss cooking? Like, do you still want to be vendors yourselves, or do you still do a little bit of cooking for the network? No, I still want to cook. Uh, my, um, I still have some cuisine that I, I would love to introduce here in Canada for them um, from Nigeria, from from Cameroon. Um, but just that, um, like me personally, I don't have the time to like cook, um, like go to a licensed kitchen, cook, clean, and to do the delivery and all that. Um, so like, I'm hoping that in the future, when we have more stability, 
Um, I can go back to doing stuff that I actually like doing, like cooking, exposing the community to different cuisine and all that. What are the foods that you like to cook at home now? What are some of the things that are on your menu, your personal home menu? I would say like I um, like I make uh, peanut stew sometime. Um, I don't know if you have had peanut stew. Like, um, so they have some in in Ghana. They have um, they have it in Nigeria too. But I think the best is the Cameroonian peanut stew, uh, or maybe. If you try the Senegalese peanut stew, it's also good. Um, so we make um, peanut stew. Um, I also make um, dole, the spinach. Um, it's spinach with peanut. Um, Sometimes I also make some other like Nigerian soups and stuff like that. What about you, Lily? Do you mainly eat his cooking or do you have some specialties of your own? Yeah, I make some pretty good um, vindaloo curry um, that I enjoy and, you know, ginger beef, those kinds of um, dishes. But I'm, I am really curious um, to get connected to like cooking with indigenous ingredients. So um, uh, accessing local, you know, herbs and um, gathering um, different, you know, fruits that I could use, like maybe trying to make pemmican. I've made bannock before. Um, but I'm really interested in finding some local chefs that cook also like indigenous rooted foods. So that's definitely something that while I could never probably do it myself, if we were able to get connected with someone that does create um, those dishes, uh, that would be really interesting. So that's something that I definitely want to pursue in the future. What are some of the the big challenges you you see for growing growing your business going forward? Are there some challenges that you know you need to tackle? In terms of challenges, um, marketing is definitely a challenge um, in that everyone is vying for you know that small amount of attention between between the scroll um, or creating that eye catching video or. Um, creating an experience that really generates the word of mouth or the excitement to tell someone else what you just experienced. Um, so that that's one um, challenge. Um, but there's so many opportunities with um, creating a network like what we have. Um, we're really looking forward to expanding into Tor- into uh, the Ontario and Toronto region um, because there's more um cross-cultural knowledge and there are more um, familiarities between locals and, you know, immigrants. So I think that um, there's more opportunities than there are challenges at this time. So we're really optimistic and ready to work really hard to keep expanding and allowing Sankara to be a tool that's used to build cross-cultural empathy between locals and newcomers. Because I think there might be some existing misunderstanding that Sankara is a company or a website where immigrants can sell things to immigrants, but actually Sankara is a vehicle for experiencing delicious, really well-cooked food from people who know how to cook it because it belongs to them to people that can sell that to people in their community that might not have time to cook and might want to pick up a meal for $11 that was cooked by Chef Ramen and it comes from his New Delhi background, you know, like those kinds of 
um, maybe that might be a myth that exists that Sankara exists for immigrants. Um, and so I think that there's an opportunity to break down that un that misunderstanding through more marketing, um, but then also expanding into other cities and communities where there might be less hesitancy to try new things because those things are not as new. Right. It, it's interesting that you should, and you'd sort of jumped ahead of me because I thought I want to know about your opportunities, but also um, um, your challenges in it. And it, it's, I'm curious about that one because actually just personally, I see the opportunity in the network. So for me personally, as a consumer, like I, I want to try different kinds of food from all places of the world. So to have an, a network like Sankara that helps act as a bit of a guide mm -hmm. and, and a conduit for people to try different things, um, different types of food. Uh, it's, it's interesting that you would have that perception from some that that it was more of a network for immigrants themselves, because obviously the the opportunity is for all of us to to enjoy this food. Yeah, and, it, and it's fine, you know, if that is where people are coming from, um, possibly that, um, you know, there's a Syrian chef on Sankara called Mona and Mona cooks really great Syrian food that the Syrian community would buy from Mona through our website, or maybe students from China would order Chinese food from a Chinese chef on Sankara. So maybe, um, you, you know, and that's totally okay if that's how people are potentially viewing Sankara, but the, the, the opening and the offering of culture is basically what we're able to facilitate through our website. We're brokers of one person's culture to another person that doesn't necessarily have that same culture. So that's, that's where the opportunity lies is in removing barriers and increasing access to authentic um, food. But there's an element to creating cultural food security as well, which is creating affordable Indian food for you know, an Indian student to buy online. I think that's a great opportunity, but definitely, you know, if Mary and Ken um, want to know what Bangladeshi food tastes like, Sankara is the space for that too. I, I always promise that I have one more question then I always have one more question. <laughs> so you can be patient with me. It's a question I probably should have asked at the beginning. So where does the name Sankara come from? Yeah, um, so um, it's from Thomas Sankara. Um, like it's, is um is a guy from Burkina Faso, so it's like by Ghana. Um, he used to be he used to be the president of Burkina Faso, and um he had uh, he had some values that um that uh, we are trying to replicate in Sankara. So um like he believed like in hard work. He he believed in people sharing um things. He believed in um, in building something for others. He believed in um, like because our whole concept in Sankara is not so much about us, right? It's a it's about building a tool that um, vendors that vendors that are left behind by society, for example, can use. So like if you go to the farmers market every Sunday, you can meet a vendor that that only goes there every Sunday. And as they go there, um, um, what they're trying to tell to their community is that, hey, look at this food. Um, I can make this food and try it. Um, what do you think, right? But um, after we have been to the farmer's market, we also realized that those vendors don't just want to be there on Sunday. They actually want to grow their business. They want to go past just Sundays. You don't want to be there Monday, Tuesday, 
all the all the days of the week. And um, if you look around on the internet, there's no one catering for those type of people. Like you have Facebook, you have Kijiji, you have uh, Skip the Dishes is for like restaurants, right? So, um, so we um, what we are trying to do in Sankara is offer a tools for those type of people that are left behind by society, uh, whether they're immigrants or they're local Canadians that um, want to expose their food to their community. Like you don't have to only be an immigrant to be a vendor in Sankara. You can be a Canadian. You can be, you can be from uh, from Honduras. You can be from Peru. You can be from Russia, you, you can be from Ukraine, you can be from anywhere, right? Um, so we are trying to build a tool that people can use to, to expose themselves, to expose their culture to the community. And that boils down to the visions that Sankara had for Burkina Faso. Uh, so um, he was the leader that took, um, he was one of the leaders that took Burkina Faso um, after the colonization, he came and he and he had great visions for the country. He he wanted to um, he wanted to create employment. He was the first president to have women in, in his government. I think in the whole world, mm -hmm. um, he was the first like in in Africa that started planting trees to reduce the impact of uh, global warming. I mean, th this is like. Uh, before the 90s, like in the 80s, he he was already thinking about environmental impact, uh, women um, um, in the community, um, jobs, employment, and all that. So, um, so we used his name to try to replicate the values that he he was trying to bring to the community. Um, so, so we are trying to replicate that in Sankara, where. Um, whether they are our vendors or our employees, right? We try to replicate those values that we want to build um, a community where everyone is accepted, where uh, people can be themselves, people can people can actually use the tools that we are building to feed their family without risking losing money, right? So, as a vendor, for example, um, if you go online and you do a research online there's um, a, a high probability that if you open a restaurant within the next two years you go bankrupt so we offering sankara to different vendors we are reducing that risk for them they can cook at any time um, at their own schedule and they can make money without having um, to face that risk of losing a lot of money so yeah so that is um where our name came from is from a guy called um, is from a guy called Thomas Sankara. All right. Well, thanks very much. I, I really uh, appreciate chatting with you, Lily. Did you have anything else to add before we close? I think um, to kind of summarize even what Tito said, um, Thomas Sankara and Sankara as an idea um, through our company is all about self-determination and self-sufficiency. Um, because as Otito said before, um, there might be some perception that a refugee or an immigrant who is located in the community is for some reason zapping services or you know um, resources from their community. But actually, 
that's not the case. Um, it just might be an, a misunderstanding or an assumption that is made about that person. Um, but Sankara is a place where you can determine your own future, utilize your own cultural identity to create profit um, and become self-sufficient. And I mean, we know that um, people come here to work hard and to create whatever life they want for themselves. And um, Sankara is there to support them throughout that process. Great. Well, thanks very much. Um, and also, like on a on a closing note, I I also when I was younger, I I spent some time uh, in India, and so I've always looked forward to. There's been different points over St. John's history. There's been Indian restaurants here, uh, but I you know I gotta say as we close, I'm craving I'm craving Indian food. So I think this weekend, <laughs> I think I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm going to check out what meal boxes are available. Vegetarian meal boxes are available for Indian food this weekend. I think that's on my list. Yeah, absolutely. And if I can, um, you know, not to be too pitchy, but uh, our website is uh, www.sankaracuisine.com. And uh, yeah, anyone can go online there and research for meal boxes that are prepared by chefs in their community at local kitchens and then delivered non-contact to you so that you can like at least satisfy that Indian food craving and maybe try Thai food or Vietnamese food too. As well. Uh, yeah, it'll be, it'll, it'll be Indian this weekend for this week for me and then maybe Vietnamese next week. <laughs> and I'll you. move on to Thai. <laughs> we'll, we'll do a little tour of the world in the next few weeks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, probably not possible right now. At least you can do it through Sankara. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, thanks very much again. It was it was so good to talk to both of you. You too. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the latest episode of Huddle Home Office. Thanks, Lily and Otito, for the great chat. Home Office is produced by me, Mark Legier, and Cherise Letson. You can listen to past episodes on podcast platforms like Apple and Spotify. Please subscribe and recommend us to a friend. And do the same, of course for local food services like Sankara. Talk to you next week.